0: Okay, alright, let me try this again. Alright, so, hi everybody, I'm Matt. And I'm Steve. And this is Marble Reread Club.
1: So we are in the middle of March 1966, which is really kind of right in the middle of peak Marvel here, or at least peak Silver Age Marvel. And we will get some of that in this episode uh, and other stuff. (laughs) Yes. Well, we're
0: going to begin right now with one of the most beloved Marvel comics of all
1: time. Yes, possibly the best three-part story that uh, Marvel has at least produced in this entire decade, if not ever. So, uh, but as you pointed out last time, it does have this weird starting in the middle of the first issue and ending in the middle of the third issue kind of thing, which, you know, we got to deal with, but that's the way things are.
0: Yeah, it's so strange. Why would they do that? It's only a brief period in which, as you pointed out, it's just Kirby who's doing this. This switch to starting stories in the middle of the month. He only does this for a couple of months, and it just so happens that unfortunately it happens to the Galactus storyline. You can tell they don't know what to put on the cover. Like, you know, you would think on the cover of this issue they would show, oh, when last we saw, you know, we had the Inhumans against Maximus and the ammo gun. And it's odd not to mention that on the cover, but instead they devote the cover to the second half. Well, it's neither Silver Surfer nor Galactus make it out of the cover. Instead, we have the Watcher looking very weird i um, like, Watcher, <laughs> never on model, always looks weird, but this is one of the weirdest looks we've ever seen on the Watcher with, as you've called it, core shadow on his face. Mm-hmm. It's very strange. And yeah. we have him just saying that something is coming, and it says the coming of Galactus, but we don't see Galactus or Silver Surfer on the cover.
1: Yes, and there, everybody, including the Fantastic Four and seemingly everyone in New York, is looking up into a red sky, uh, seemingly with dread. Yes. So, yes, the coming of Galactus. But we start out right where we left off with the Fantastic Four sort of battling the Inhumans, but also battling with the Inhumans against Maximus. So, the credits here the fateful vibrations have started thanks to Maximus, and also thanks to Stan Lee, writer without peer, Jack Kirby, penciler of the year, Joe Sinnott, inker most sincere, Artie Simek. How'd he get in here? So, yes. Maximus, the evil brother of Black Bolt, who is king of the Inhumans, had usurped the throne, and now at this point when he is being sent back to his rightful place, he turns on the Atmo Gun, which is supposed to do something to the atmosphere that will kill presumably all regular humans and leave the Earth for the Inhumans to inherit. The Atmo Gun is starting to destroy things. There is, you know, more of a confrontation between the Inhumans and Max. Maximus. Yes. So
0: then they go to confront Maximus and they're going like, oh, too late. I've already turned the gun. I have killed off all humans. Only inhumans are left alive. And then Medusa is like, no, let's go ahead and pull up on this video monitor video footage of some random street, seemingly in New York, of all the humans have been knocked down a little bit, but then they're getting up again. This proves that humans and inhumans are the same and that your gun didn't work because we now know that we're not that different from humans. And if it doesn't kill us, it's not going to kill them either. I'm like, who installed this camera that is showing just life <laughs> on the streets of New York?
1: It, it <laughs> just—it just seems to be technology that seems to be generally available, not maybe to the general public, but to people who have super tech to just be able to have a camera that just can show you anywhere on the planet. Uh, yes. that, that's just something we see a lot. So that's what I'm guessing this is.
0: Yes, but so then they realize, oh no wonder the Abogad didn't work. We are human too. It is only our powers that are different. But yes. then. But then, but then,
1: but then Maximus, Maximus gets away. Yeah, then Maximus uh, breaks free from them and goes and finds the atmo gun once again, and he says, "By reversing the charge on my atmo gun." I can create a negative zone around our land, a zone that nothing can penetrate. The victory shall still be mine for I am Maximus the Magnificent. That's a great panel, by the way, with just some fantastic Kirby tech and a great perspective angle. But I believe this is the first time we've seen the term negative zone used in the Marvel Universe. Uh, however, this is not the negative zone that uh, becomes a regular location in marble history going forward. It is something called a negative zone, which ends up essentially creating some sort of unpassable barrier.
0: I occasionally check in with the marble indexes they published in the 80s to read what they have to say about these issues. And they tie themselves into knots trying to explain the, the extremely complicated history of the terms negative zone versus subspace and how they get used and misused and misapplied. And yes, so we are going to have this barrier now put up around the Inhumans that is going to remain until issue 60, 13 issues from now, and will be called the Negative Zone. Meanwhile, right around that time, we're getting to know the real Negative Zone, which is at first called subspace, even though subspace is supposed to be something different that we have already seen. And then we are finally going to get all the terminology straight in about two or three years when we will determine that no, this barrier around the Inhumans should never have been called the Negative Zone, but they will eventually figure that out.
1: Yeah, because I think it's an FF-51, maybe, where we see the actual Negative Zone that you and I knew from the 80s?
0: But they call it subspace.
1: Yeah. Do they? Okay. Yeah. Uh, but it's clearly what we uh, what we remember seeing. So anyway, yeah. this Negative Zone is going to enclose the so-called Great Refuge, uh, meaning that no one can go in or go out. Johnny and Crystal, of course, who are teenagers in love with each other uh, don't want to be separated. She wants to come with him. He wants to stay with her. But in the end, Thing grabs Johnny and pulls him out. So he is now separated from Crystal and he is absolutely distraught. And there's a lot of sympathy for him. The thing feels terrible for being the one who had to pull him out unvoluntarily. But, you know, he's like, I did the right thing. But yeah, this is terrible. So somehow they're able to get lift off on that commercial jetliner. Once again, there must be some runway they were able to use in the Andes Valley there. So uh, they're flying away. On the bottom of page seven, I would say that is once again, some proto Kirby crackle down there on pay on yes. panel five. And it is our first glimpse of the Silver Surfer. We see a tiny little picture of him. Next panel, we see him a little bit better. He is a silver man on a silver surfboard flying through space, seeming to just uh, be a an adventurer, an explorer out here.
0: They not only don't give Silver Surfer and Galactus a whole issue to themselves to be introduced. They don't even give him a whole page to himself to be introduced. This is... They're wrapping up the Inhuman storyline in the top four panels of the page, and then they begin... We first made Silver Surfer on the bottom of a page in which another storyline is wrapped up. So you would hope that he could, just for the purposes of reprinting all this, that they could introduce him on his own page, but they did not. But I gotta say, it's interesting that the Silver Surfer isn't wearing any underwear on this page. He's mm-hmm. just... A silver dude. Later, sometimes he'll be shown as wearing little silver underwear, which I never like. I always like him a lot better as
1: uh, just a naked dude. We get an idea of what we're in for when, as the Silver Surfer passes the Skrull Empire's home system, uh, the Emperor, frantic, or maybe maybe not the Emperor, but somebody in the observation room that sees that it's the Silver Surfer that's approaching – orders the entire solar system blacked out Uh, so apparently they're just like everybody on every planet turn off every light and every machine (laughs) we need to have these things look uninhabited uh and apparently it works this time doesn't work so well later in the 80s (laughs) have you heard any stories about the meeting between jack and stan where the silver surfer first came up as a concept the story i have heard is that and this also if this is true gives us some insight into how their storytelling synergy worked um that uh stan had presumably told you know talked with jack and said okay we're gonna create this villain called galactus he's gonna eat planets yada 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 and then basically sends jack off to go ahead and come up with concept sketches or something like that so jack comes back with a drawing of what galactus is going to look like with this little dude on a silver board up over his shoulder flying around and stan says what's this and jack's like "Yeah, he seems like a big important guy seems like he should have some kind of a herald or something like that who comes and announces his presence uh uh, and so, therefore, the Silver Surfer was born, That and uh, Stan Lee absolutely fell in love with the character. Uh, now, this is also important because in the context of this story, and once again, this must have come from Kirby, so, you know... Take that with take that for what it means. This is a story from a particular perspective.
0: Who was suing for sole creator rights to these characters?
1: Yes, and I think this this may have been around that time. What Kirby said was that that was the moment when he sort of realized that he was creating all of this free intellectual property, basically just for laborers' wages for this company. That he's like, wait, Silver Surfer is a great character, and now it's suddenly kind of become Lee's character. Should I just be making these things up? Just To give away, you know, just to to make for piecework, basically, at least in the story as Jack Kirby and or his partisans tell it. He entirely created the Silver Surfer without any prompting or input from Stan Lee and that this was the moment when he started to think, you know, maybe Wally Wood was right you know, maybe we shouldn't be putting up with this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, And the Wally Wood part I threw in just because I know that he had left just a few months earlier. And it has been, I've read various places that he was complaining to folks around there like, don't you get that you're being exploited by all this? So yeah, I've heard two different versions of that story. And they get right to the whole issue of
0: Chank partisans versus Stan partisans. And that is that, I've heard one version, which is sort of the version you're saying, where they were spitballing this new character. And they were saying, you know, oh, there's going to be this new character, Galactus. And, you know, show me some concept drawings for Galactus. And then Jack goes ahead and does a concept drawing. And then Stan says, who's that silver guy flying around? And Jack says, I think he should have a herald called the Silver Surfer. And that is one thing. And then, but sometimes that story gets transmuted. And people are saying, like, no, Stan just said to Jack, You know, in this issue, the Atmogun storyline wraps up and then somebody named Galactus comes. And that's like all he tells him. And then Mm -hmm. Jack gives him the finished pages like you know, completely finished pages of the issue, and Stan is like, Who's the silver guy? And Jack says, Oh, I decided there should be a character named the Silver Server, which is, you know, more sort of the way that Dicko and Lee were working at the time, or the way that we know that Dickko and Lee were working at the time, because they said on the page that's how they were working at the time. But that's not what they said on the page about how Stan and Jack were working at the time. And is this a case where the concept sketch story is true and then it got transmuted by the Jack Partisans into a more Steve Dickowes version in which, no, Stan gave Jack almost nothing, and Jack came up with the whole book himself, including presenting the entire, all of the pages with the Silver Surfer as a fait play Or was that the true story? And then that got transmuted by the Stan Partisans into a story where it's like, well, no, OK, they were, yes, you know, Jack came up with the Silver Surfer, but they were working on concept sketches together. And Stan actually gave Jack more than that for the actual issue of the book. This is, I think, one of the key bones of contention here. This is one of the key differences between the stories told by the Jack Partisans and the Stan Partisans.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've uh, the version that I remember hearing was specifically that, hey, who is this little guy here on the sketch? right yeah Uh, so that would seem to implicate uh the version that i said but you know again this is all a game of telephone over decades and many many people and it's not like i am you know it's not like i am uh uh you know more than it's not like i'm less than two or three degrees of separation from either of these guys (laughs) decades separated so yeah we're never going to know but uh it is one of those just fascinating questions that we'll never really be able to answer
0: Yes, if I had a time machine, I would go back. I would kill baby Hitler, and then I would <laughs> visit the creation of the Silver Surfer and find out which
1: of these is actually true. Yeah, you know, instead of killing baby Hitler, how about kill like young adult Hitler? You know, <laughs> how, how about you know just go and shoot him on the fields of World War One? That 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 seems a little bit less problematic than <laughs> baby Hitler. OK,
0: well, and that way, you know, that way I'll have cover because we'll be like, well, clearly he was killed by an enemy bullet. You know, you can't blame me. You know, I, yeah. I can get away
1: with it more easily. Yes. Uh, well, getting away with it is definitely important.
0: Yeah. Well, clearly Stan does fall in love with the Silver Surfer and eventually will decide to give the Silver Surfer his own book without Kirby. Uh, yes. It's unclear why Kirby was not involved in the book. But Stan, you know, at that point, the wonderful John B. Sama has joined Marvel. And Sand gives the Silver Surfer his own double length book, which is a real artist showcase for this wonderful art, but without Kirby with John Busema, and creates, and then famously Stan then creates this whole backstory for Silver Surfer where he used to be human, which apparently Kirby did not like. Kirby wanted the Silver Surfer to be just a being who was created, fully formed by Galactus and thought it would therefore be more meaningful if the Silver Surfer, you know, discovers his humanity here if he had never had any, but Lee is like, no, this is a viable character. We should give him a human backstory. And then that was sort of, I think, the reason for the creation of the Adam Warlock character. Is I have heard that this was Stanley going, okay, we'll go ahead and do a character your way, and we'll have a character be created fully formed as a sort of Platonic ideal of a human being, and then have that character discover his humanity.
1: Okay. Uh, so anyway, uh, who knows how much of that we will be able to leave in? I actually like just about all that discussion, so uh, we will see. <laughs> so back on Earth. As they're still flying home, Thing is looking out one window that Reed, who's doing the flying, is not looking out. And he's seeing two suns. And everybody else is like, dude, Thing, I don't know what joke you're trying to tell, but we don't have anything for it right now. And he's like, okay, maybe I'm making it up. And it's like, no, dude, I'm definitely not making it up. And then the second sun, so-called, seems to expand and fill the entire sky with fire. So that's unnerving. That's probably not a good thing. <laughs> so as Pete Campbell would say on Men Men, not good, Bob. <laughs> so Human Torch, even though the rest of the team is like, oh, we need to figure out what's going on. He, who is trying to get his mind off of Crystal as well, goes ahead and flies out thinking, oh, well, you know, fire can't harm me. But uh, of course, the people of New York think, oh, well, there here's fire. There's the Human Torch. Clearly, the Human Torch is causing the skies to catch fire. Let's get him. And so then they hose him off and uh, the rest of the Fantastic Four has to rescue him. Now, I once again, I like this or I don't like or whatever. It's interesting that Stan Lee has to explain, saying, meanwhile, having retrieved their speedy jet cycle, which they had left at the airport before flying to the Great Refuge, Reed, Sue and Ben zoom after the missing Johnny. It's like. Okay, yeah, we need to explain how exactly they're on this as last time we saw they were on a passenger jet. <laughs> <You know? laughs> the thing comes and rescues Johnny who can't flame on at that point. The flames then turn into giant floating rocks and then suddenly the watcher shows up out of nowhere. Once again, the watcher's oath is worth about 2 cents. <laughs> and because, you know, they do say, "Hey, aren't you supposed to not interfere with other worlds?" He says, "True." But the danger is too great this time. So not even like, oh, here's a, a loophole that I can get off on. Just, nope. Uh, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to do that, but um, here you go. So, he has uh, clearly
0: developed a certain affection for... Her.
1: Yes, he very much has. He's gotten too close. So the... Watcher, He was the one who was making the sky look like it was burning. He then replaces that with floating boulders, basically, like, you know, space debris. And all of this, it turns out, is ways to try to shield the Earth from the Silver Surfer. He's trying to make sure the Silver Surfer does not see that this is a vital, growing, verdant world that is ripe for harvest. But the Watcher fails to do so. The Silver Surfer does show up and then gets the drop on him and (laughs) knocks him off the top of the building. But uh, he is obviously not gone yet. Galactus's spherical ship then approaches, which is followed by another crazy Kirby collage, It's really quite nice. You see the streets of New York from high up. Then you see, you know, presumably the spherical ship for Galactus and then other mechanical stuff and ships coming out of it. And then the final page, we see Galactus emerge from his ship. He says, my journey is ended. This planet shall sustain me until it has been drained of all elemental life. So speaks Galactus. In this version, I presume this is the same in the original version, he is colored in either Christmas or Mexico colors. Is that that Indian? Red, green, and brown, and white. Right, yes. They fix this next issue. (laughs) But But also, he's
0: got a big G on his chest. So I've said many times in this podcast that the lowest form of costume creation is putting the first letter of somebody's name on their chest. Galactus will very soon go on to be one of the all-time great character designs. But he starts off quite lame in this first appearance on the last page of this issue with lame, red, green, brown colors, bare arms, and a big G on his chest. Very quickly,
1: they will think better of that. How long does the G stick around?
0: Does it make it to the end of this storyline? I don't
1: think it does. Somewhere in here, the Watcher says something about basically Galactus is what he wishes to be. And uh, in future decades, they make it clear that Galactus is a cosmic being that mortal beings can't necessarily perceive in his native way. And so he looks like whatever the people who are looking at him think he looks like and so when he eats the Skrull homeworld they show a picture of him looking like a giant Skrull in Galactus costume so yeah that could explain away the G right you know it's like yes. yeah, yeah we, we've seen we've seen bad guys with uh their initials on their chest and this guy's called Galactus so sure that's what we'll uh that's what we'll imagine
0: it's always even sillier when a hero or villain has the first letter of their name on their chest and this is not a character who would be sp- speaking English and that is <laughs> Very much the case here, but I just peeked ahead. Yes, the cheese stays on his chest throughout this entire storyline.
1: So this is, like I said, the first part of the, uh, you know, almost inarguably, I would think, the greatest three-issue storyline of the Marvel Silver Age. And we are well on our way. Now, we did have a rocky road getting here, in that we are only getting to it halfway through the issue, but I am just absolutely licking my chops to get to the next two issues.
0: Yes. Jump back in and point out a few things. I absolutely love the top of page 10, where the city is on fire, and we have a big panel up the top half of the page, beautifully inked by Zenon. I love the look on the lady's face. Senat inking often makes me think of newspaper daily syndicated comic strips, which was considered to be the apotheosis of the comics form at the time. Certainly the highest paid people working in comics were working on daily newspaper strips, and Sinat is bringing a lot of that energy here. Is this the first time we've seen the thing have to beat up a normal guy, so he just flicks him? <laughs> he uh, <laughs> flicks him in a way that knocks him off his feet?
1: Uh, I do not know if this is the first time we've seen it, but yes, that's a good point. That is a uh, uh, something that will we, we will see again in the future.
0: This is a fantastic issue. And I should say a really nice wrap-up of the Inhuman storyline with a nice tragic ending of the teen lovers being separated and something that's going to create. What it's going to take to break the Inhumans out of this negative zone, out of this candy shell that they are caught in, will take up. A lot of the next 13 issues. That was a nice temporary ending of that storyline. And then we move into an even better storyline, which is just wonderful. And then in the end, there's another long letter, very long letter from Don McGregor, who is one of their favorite correspondents, and then will eventually become a Marvel writer not too far in the future. Okay, so let's go ahead and move on to Strange Tales, number 142. So once again, I think for like the third issue in a row, it's just Nick Fury on the cover. And it says in big letters, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. It does not mention Doctor Strange. We just see his face uh, in the corner box. But uh, they clearly see S.H.I.E.L.D. as being the big selling element of this book. And they're sort of ashamed of Doctor Strange, even though Doctor Strange is absolutely killing it month after month. But not that Nick Fury is not. We have another issue where, once again... says, look out 007, here comes Stanley writer, our answer to Pond, Jack Kirby, penciler, our answer to Uncle, Mike DeMeo, inker, our answer to Brand Eck, Artie Simek, letterer, our answer to Rosen. So once again, we have Kirby doing full pencils on this book, which is just delightful. Mickey DeMeo, but they go Mike DeMeo, does an excellent job inking in this issue. The last couple times we saw... Mickey DiMeo inking, he was also finishing the penciling on Hulk, and he does better over full Kirby pencils than he does over Kirby layouts.
1: Says, Who Strikes a Shield? We have an awesome robot on the first page. That robot is fantastic. That is one of the greatest robots I think we've seen in the Marvel Universe so far.
0: (laughs) It's working. Did you see that draw? Nothing can get past our Wild Bill robot. And he's got two very different types of guns in each hand. His feet have four wheels on each feet that sort of spin around. And They're, uh,
1: they're like office chair casters.
0: <laughs> yes. And uh, Kirby does a great job showing us this thing in motion. Uh, this is just – has nothing to do with the issue. This is just a little robot they're building a shield and they're experimenting with. We then catch up with the Espers. Last issue we saw that they have three people, three blindfolded people doing – ESP work and uh they I guess know that they have somehow activated another former Esper agent named mentalo who is coming after them, but I guess they just can't do much about it. Meanwhile, Mentelo has paired up with the fixer. They are approaching SHIELD. We then get more of just SHIELD practicing their stuff for future issues, including an awesome a bunch of shirtless guys are attacking each other with all sorts of electronic devices to test them out. I saw you put this on our socials where Kirby has to make... uh, We talked in our last episode about how if people wanted to communicate between Europe and America in the 60s, they were still using telegraphs. Well, here we get, if they actually wanted to make an international phone call, what it would look like. And we see Kirby being rigged up. We see Fury. I always call Fury Kirby. We see Fury being rigged up with this huge electronic device that is a harness he has to wear over his whole body to make an international phone call.
1: Now, I think there were intercontinental phone calls that you could make. It was just very, very expensive. I'm guessing that this is what you would have to do for a mobile phone call. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah,
0: okay. We then have something very interesting. It says, let's check up on our other operation involving Petrach and Inferno 42, which is the first indicate this is very rare for the Marvel Universe at this point. To you know, there's two Shield storylines going on two different books because Batrakan and Inferno Thirty Two are in Suspense Number Seventy Five, which came out the same month, and they're acknowledging, oh yeah, there's this whole other Shield operation that's going on over in the Captain America book. They're starting to try to have these things interact just a little bit, but we cut to Mentalo and the Fixer who are using all sorts of insane devices to attack Shield with, and they eventually break through. And that brings us to the end of the issue. They grab, they attack Nick Fury. They put a little face mask on him to turn them into their slave. And that is where the issue leaves off. This is an absolutely beautiful issue. Absolutely beautiful. Penciling by Kirby. Inking by DeMeo. And who is Mike Esposito. And it is great gadget work going on at S.H.I.E.L.D. Heroes have great gadgets. The villains have great gadgets. And what happens... When the unstoppable force meets the immovable object, it is a fantastic issue. I love it.
1: Absolutely, it's uh. This is a really fun issue. Like, like you said, just the shield gadgetry is fantastic. I really like the duo of the Fixer and Men- Mentalo or Mentalo or whatever you would want to call him. You know, uh, one guy has all the scientific technology stuff, and the other guy can get into your brain. It's like they're they're very complementary in terms of what they can do together, and they both look kind Of cool, there <laughs> it's like a buddy movie, uh, except they're the bad guys. I'm really enjoying this, and, and you know, the the art Kirby is having so much fun. You know, the image that's on the cover is basically repeated on page 11 inside. Yeah, this is this is the good stuff image of
0: Fixer and Mento on little flying pogo stick type things flying around firing guns. This cover was later recreated for a Micronauts cover. Um, when Fixer and Mentolo attack theirs. So this would be ah. also another cover this month, which would be homaged
1: later. I think that's all I had to say. Let me just okay. double check and make sure. Oh, no, no. Oh, no. no. Do we have more soupy sales? We do! Oh, damn it. You know what? I was planning on getting, on trying to get up an air horn sound to use <laughs> whenever Soupy Sales came up. Er, 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 er. <laughs> so, at one point, Fury is saying, Look, there's something taking shape on the screen right now. And the scientist says, They've all been concentrating on Mentalo. Do you think it could be him? Well, it sure as heck ain't Soupy Sales. So uh, yes, the the year of soupy sales continues. Uh, I'm really glad I didn't miss that one that, that I would have been really pissed at myself. <laughs> um, um, oh, and we have the first mention of the organization that would eventually come to be called AIM. Um, yes. but they, uh, they are at this point we're still called them. and at this point, the fixer is essentially using them aim to manufacture his gadgets for him so he's essentially designing these things and they are helping him actually build them and so we will be seeing more of them slash aim in coming months
0: yes and then it's also going to be a little bit unclear who is doing who is trying to steal inferno 42 over in captain america and i think that will also later be is them the actual name organization or no we later find out it's aim and it's all very confusing, but uh, this, I think, all gets eventually grouped together. But, okay, let's go ahead and move on to the back of the book. Always excellent. Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, Those Who Would Destroy Me. We talked about last issue about how the version I originally read ended definitively, um, but then in when it turned out I read the original issue, it actually ended on a cliffhanger. We had had the major storyline with Dormammu and Baron Mordo wrap up last month, but it turned out there were some some Sabine Hines had who are still um, devoted to Baron Mordo's cause are still fighting Doctor Strange. They have put a bomb bomb into his razier, um, and, and, and have,
1: when you say a bomb bomb, just go ahead and please <laughs> define why you're calling it that.
0: They 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 specifically say this is not a mystical bomb. This is not a ecto bomb. This is a just normal human bomb that we have put in his brazier, thinking he will not be able to detect that. But then this is very clever. He is like, wait just a second. I scanned to see if there were any bad guys here. And it showed that the place was totally clean, but it shouldn't have been totally clean because I fought a demon here and there should still be the aura from that here. So clearly the place has been cleaned up. Clearly someone must have been here and then cleaned up their presence because the place is, the aura of this place is suspiciously clean. Which uh, I like a lot. That uh, that bit of potting, uh, presumably on Dicko's part, but maybe made up by Lee. It says extravagantly edited and written by Stan Lee, painstakingly plotted and drawn by Steve deco lovingly lettered and ported by Artie Samek. So, Doctor Strange realizes at the last minute this bomb is here. Flies out of his skylight and throws the bomb up into the air where it explodes. But it does stun him, and the bad guys are able to then grab him and put him in a Metal face mask and metal mittens, and they are keeping him prisoner. Each of us shall have a specific mission. I shall study Strange's amulet, while Mordo's helper shall examine the mysteries of his cloak. And as for you, demon, your task shall be to probe the mind of Doctor Strange. So then they all go off. And and uh, I will say
1: the person who's saying that looks identical to Rorschach if his face were in shadow.
0: Yeah, true. Um, So Kaecilius is still not being named. Will go on to become one of the major villains of the first Doctor Strange movie. But he
1: is still here in Mordo's Italian mustachioed goon. He <laughs> looks like one of the Gambono brothers.
0: Yes. So Doctor Strange is still completely masked up, mittened up. Someone comes to try to probe his mind. But fantastic art by Dicko on bottom of page four. Oh, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> strange setting his own probe mental probe snaking along back along the mental probe that is poking into his head and uh, you can really just feel these things writhing along these little uh, mental snakes that are coming out of strange's head as he then seizes control of the person who has who is trying to control his mind meanwhile we see the female morto agent who has his amulet and has figured out what's going on
1: we didn't see that she was a female morto agent earlier we just see now that that figure who i described as looking exactly like rorschach from Watchmen, uh on the bottom of page five we see that overcoat and hat and gloves Ah. sitting on a counter or a you know dresser or whatever in her room and we see that it was actually this woman who was disguised as a man in a trench coat
0: ah okay i had not realized that. Yes. Um, And all of these three characters will eventually come back for a fantastic Roger Stern-Paul Smith issue much later on. We then get just an absolutely fantastic sequence of, I always love it, how Dicko, when he is plotting and drawing Doctor Strange, shows him having to deal with mundane real-world impediments uh, while also engaging in ectoplasmic skullduckery. And we have, Strange has no way of taking off his mask and his metal mittens and he is having to get around the castle while wearing these things by separating out his ectoplasmic form and having his encumbered human form come trudging along behind him and then he gets in a fight on page eight, which is just beautifully done, how he is able to get in this fight that he can't see
1: anything and by using his ectoplasmic self. So basically his ectoplasmic form is floating outside of his body and his body isn't supposed to be able to do anything while that is out of his body, but they're somehow having him able to use his physical body uh, as sort of like a puppet uh, that he's able to move around from outside. So it's almost like he's playing a video game of Doctor Strange in meat space.
0: <laughs> yes, this goes on. He finally cuts away and is barely able to leave onto the next building. But when the issue ends, he is still shackled, And but he has made it out onto the roof, and he is, says, and yet, while the breath of life remains within me, I shall fight on. And we have our 13th cliffhanger in a row on this book, <laughs> The Storyline Just Never Ends, which is a little bit wearying that with Fairmorto and Dormammu Out of Action, that this storyline, they're ringing another 13th and 14th issue out of this storyline. But it is excellent work, and I can't complain. This is a harrowing issue. You really feel for Doctor Strange. He is in a lot of trouble, and it is just beautifully potted, beautifully penciled, and beautifully inked by Dicko.
1: Yes. Yeah. Things like what you were talking about, that mental probe that he was that Dr. Strange was sort of uh, using to then probe back against the other guy. I mean, (laughs) getting that across, I I, it's it's absolutely brilliant and the last thing that i'll say about this is uh, i think i've mentioned before that when uh you and i were trying to do that uh sci-fi adventure comic strip thing that i had that one scene where he was leaping from a tower window to another thing and you know people i'd show it to were like can he fly like i don't think someone could jump that far once again i'm like look at panel two on page 10 of this issue of doctor strange look Steve Ditko does it here too (laughs) there's there's no way he can make that jump um so I just uh I I, I'm feeling a little defensive yes I understand feeling a little (laughs) salty That's right.
0: I say at the end of my notes, this is essentially chapter 13 of a 12-chapter story, which is pushing it, but it's a great comment.
1: Okay, so moving on to Tales of Suspense number 75, featuring Iron Man and Captain America. Iron Man gets the entire cover here, with Captain America only appearing in the corner box, and the title is The Fury of the Freak, and we see on the cover a bunch of cops, Pepper is being thrown off a ledge by the freak, and Iron Man is acting all dramatic about trying to figure out what to do
0: cohen's feet are never his best feature and pepper's feet on the cover <laughs> the <laughs> way her high heels are sticking out not
1: great cohen's typically not good at shoes and uh pepper's shoes on the cover are not looking right uh you know it's it's funny uh the artist who gets the worst reputation for drawing feet is rob liefeld whether yes. that's fair or not other folks have pointed out all these other artists who couldn't draw feet and found just more elegant ways to hide the fact so
0: <laughs> Steve Monkio said that he created the fish yes. places he wanted all his police to have fish bottoms so that he would never have to draw feet
1: uh, that was going to be my second example <laughs> uh, but somebody pointed out that who was that i think frank Frazetta. like if you look at all of his fantasy paintings everyone's feet are like obscured by rubble or smoke or water or you know, it's like uh i think it was Frizetta. it's like one of those classic fantasy artists where it's like yeah no it looks like he never drew a foot yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah uh gene colin's in good company yep. so the, so the freak is actually happy hogan who Uh, was near death and had an experimental tony stark medical device tried on him which tony stark knew was a bad idea but everybody else was like "Eh, sure let's try it and uh turned him into the freak who looks like a cross between frankenstein and the watcher so iron man is trying to figure out how to defeat this guy when he knows he's you know his friend who helped save his life so he's going back and forth about how he's going to do that meanwhile his armor is running out of power because he was not able to fully charge it up last time he tried to do so
0: we should say that this is titanically written by stan lee tremendously drawn by adam austin who is really gene cohen tumultuously inked by gary michaels who is really jack abel and is continuing to do an amazing job this is a really beautifully inked issue timorously lettered by Sam Wilson.
1: So Iron Man collapses, I think because his power was running out, and the freak just sort of, he's like, okay, maybe I don't destroy this guy. There's something in the back of my brain that says that, you know, I shouldn't harm him any further. So the freak then happens to wander into stark's lab where senator bird has shown up and is trying to get access to tony stark and or iron man and pepper is trying to occupy him in the meantime and that is of course when the freak comes in and ends up throwing the senator to the ground and abducting pepper after she faints and again this is one of those pages where i really don't know that that Splash page was worth having be a splash page for uh for colon there. Uh, no, or there's or- a
0: tremendous amount. First of all, her shoes look terrible, and second of all, <laughs> there is a tremendous amount of dead space in this splash yeah. page. Like
1: you could literally just crop out the entire top fifth of the page, and no one would ever know. Right. and and the entire right like quarter of the page or something like that and the entire bottom <laughs> fifth of the page, uh yeah it's it's uh, I mean if if you're gonna do a splash page for that I could see making that work but you got to do something with it as I said Gene Colin he has a long career he's fantastic on many things seems like there's some things that he's still working on here yeah even though he has been working in comics for a while oftentimes you know I mean Kirby didn't really reach what Kirby would become for you know, 20 years working in comics something like that. So anyway, the freak in very much a kind of uh, Frankenstein or King Kong type style here, picks Pepper up and walks towards an open window there are a bunch of cops outside waiting for him and they start shooting and one of them says careful, easy, don't hit the girl but they apparently keep on firing just like, oh, we'll just make sure not to hit her so uh, the freak drops her and Iron Man, who Who's still very weak, uh, but of course his transistors were able to recharge a bit because apparently that's how things work. Uh, But he does have enough power to use his repulsor rays to break her fall.
0: Yeah, they they go back and forth as to whether or not these repulsor rays are just like you know lasers with piercing power, or whether they actually repulse things and could you know break somebody's fall. This Uh is.
1: I've usually thought – I've never thought of them as lasers. I've always gotten the impression that either they are just destructive – or they're basically concussive that they uh, will sort of push things like you know it's a repulsor it's repelling things so I find it is somewhere in between concussion and a push But anyway, yep. right now he's using it as a push so Iron Man is trying to turn the device back on that turned Happy into the freak because something something it's going to uh, turn him back into Happy Hogan and we leave with a cliffhanger of Iron Man just about to collapse and trying to throw the switch and thinking he has failed and will not be able to save Happy.
0: Now, they haven't brought up in a long time that Happy, last time he was conscious, told Tony Stark, I know your secret identity. I know Iron Man is Tony Stark. Then he hasn't been fully conscious ever since. But I assume that when he eventually becomes – human again, that he is going to conveniently have amnesia and forget that or I don't know if they're going to try to I don't think they ever give Jane amnesia, I don't think they ever give Glenn Talbot amnesia they've been revealing a lot of secret identities recently so maybe they'll just go forward with that I don't remember, certainly Iron Man is a character who has had long periods of time not had a secret identity, I don't remember how they go forward with that
1: Uh, neither do I, Uh, we will find out we will find uh, out soon So we are moving on to the Captain America story here. 30 minutes to live. Introducing Lee and Kirby's newest bombastic baddie, the block-busting Batroc. Where, but at mighty Marvel, can such towering talent be assembled? Stan Lee script, Jack Kirby layouts, Dick Ayers pencil... Not pencils, but pencil. Jay Tartaglioni inks. Now, if I'm not mistaken, J- uh, Tartaglioni has been inking Dick Ayers over on Sergeant Fury and his Talent Commandos, and ah. uh, actually doing a really good job. You know, I was surprised. You know, we haven't been reading that for this uh, podcast, but when I was reading it earlier myself, I was surprised at how much I really liked. Uh, Dick errs when he's inked by other people, and uh, John Tartaglioni adds a bit of a, a bit of an edge to him that I really sort of like. So, anyway, he's doing the inks, Artie Simac lettering, then Irving Forbush cheerleader. Now, you have the uh, scans that have more of the other stuff other than just the stories in them. I'm reading this on Marvel Unlimited. Has there been much stuff about Irving Forbush that has been yeah. mentioned? Um, so. It, that's something that I would be interested in you sort of mentioning when it comes up. Uh, okay. Just because that's part of what I like about going back and looking at this stuff is, you know, those little things Irving Forbush, the mighty Marvel Marching Society, all these things that happen kind of not in the stories, but sort of in the fandom that Marvel is cultivating.
0: I gotta say, I, I, I really like this issue. I think that the uh, Kirby era's Tartaglioni art really looks nice right away on this on this splash page i think it you know it really looks like kirby this looks like you know the kirby of those three people it's really the kirby that comes shining through and uh oh, yeah you know obviously this is a legendary issue we, we talked about how legendary fantastic four is this month and this can't hope to compared to that. But Petroc is one of the all-time great Captain America villains and one of my all-time personal favorite characters. And he gets a fantastic introduction in this issue. I had forgotten that Kirby was just on layouts because I think Kirby is associated with Batroc, um, not as much as he is associated with Silver Surfer and Galactus. But I think that when people think of Patroc, they think of him as being a great Kirby character.
1: Indeed, I read this issue and I'm like going, yes, this feels like we're getting Kirby goodness with Batroc. Although when John Ramita draws Batroc in the next couple of months, oh boy, does that not work? But, I wouldn't uh, say that. I like it, but, uh, but oh, we'll, we'll 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 get into that when it happens. I I'm going to prove you wrong. So as you pointed out last month, we last left off with Captain America parachuting safely down from the destroyed sleeper trilogy thingy, only to show up in this issue with him falling to his death, because I guess that someone thought better of it? I don't know.
0: <laughs> I should say that this issue is going to end up in the Marvel No Price book several places. There will be more as we
1: come along, so I'll point out those then. So earlier in March 1966 here, when we did Strange Tales, Matt pointed out that there was a mention of some other S.H.I.E.L.D. operation that was happening uh, kind of off panel about Inferno 42. Well, this is what it's referring to. So these are two different things S.H.I.E.L.D. is doing in the same month, and they are are sort of acknowledging that. We see a demonstration by some uh to wells but some, you know, high-tech suited uh, folks. We see a demonstration of what Inferno 42 will do to New York City, why they need to create a scale model of New York City and drop an actual little thing of this stuff in there to show how it blows the thing up. I'm not 100% sure. You know, I think it's kind of like Dr. Evil's factory that makes models of little factories. Yes. <laughs> uh, so this is apparently some kind of uh, substance which could be used for great harm so uh some bad guys are looking to steal it meanwhile we see we go back to captain america we see that he falls into the water and just tries to dive in which he's able to do but he falls unconscious fortunately he's able to float to the surface despite the fact that his suit is made maybe one quarter of chain mail and the fact that he's holding on to a disc of steel um <laughs> but fortunately that does not weigh him down what you know they say that, that captain america has no superpowers but he is just at peak human abilities what can peak human ability not do come on so anyway, <laughs> he has super uh, floatiness powers Yes. Uh, Well, apparently not in World War II. Those must have come (laughs) about later. So Cap is pulled aboard a dinghy by some uh, American sailors who happen to be out there. And we then see him back at his, let's see, I would assume he was living in the Avengers Mansion. But on page four, panel one, he does not look like he is on a balcony in Avengers Mansion. He looks way higher up than that. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we see Captain America reminiscing about the war, about Bucky Barnes having died, about his old sergeant, and, um, you know, various things. Between the final panel on page four and the first panel on page five, somehow... Oh, wait, wait, wait,
0: wait, wait. You've skipped over another no-prize-worthy panel. This okay. Is- so we have... Uh, the fifth panel of page four, he said, is, yes, he's thinking about Bucky, and he's thinking about his old surgeon, and then he thinks about, but there was one other. Our lives touched for only a short time, but I've never forgotten her. I can still remember her, our final date, when she whispered to me through trembling lips. I'll wait till you return and see if no matter how long, no matter what happens, I'll wait for you, my darling. But he thinks, but that was an eternity ago, in the dead past, the forgotten past, the patch which will live with me forever. After all, I'm now... Essentially a 20 year old, and she would be a 40 year
1: old. Ugh. uh yeah well let's let's just assume that he's like she's moved on with her life i mean come on
0: (laughs) (laughs) they there is a new movie that is coming out soon with adam sandberg as a guy who is in order to save his life witnesses been animation and he comes out and 40 years later and he decides to resume his relationship with his girlfriend who is now in her 80s and who will be played by gene smart
1: but um, Jean Smart's having a nice having a nice uh, second act of her career here. I really like that. Yes.
0: So this is the beginning. Well, we we talked about in the past when Captain America was fighting with an unspecified female agent in World War II, and was that one of the Carter sisters slash aunt niece slash uh, grandmother granddaughter and how that was unclear and how she was, again, as an unnamed female agent. Well, here, this all starts up again, and it's starting up here in this panel here, and we'll pick up more of it as we go through this issue and see more no prize panels.
1: Yes. Uh, Well, and something that (laughs) looks like a no prize to me, although it doesn't really rise to that level, uh, is, as I said, on the final panel on page four, we see Captain America wearing red pajamas and white slippers with a purple robe over it. And then in the next panel, we see his purple robe is still on. He's just now taking it off, but he has no pajamas under there. He's wearing his Captain America outfit, and apparently, his Captain America outfit is footy pajamas. So, um, <laughs> yes. how how he got his ba- his uh, his jammies off in the meantime? Is a mystery. We see how unbelievable it is that he's supposedly able to walk around with his shield under his suit jacket on panel four on page five. (laughs) Um, But he goes ahead and uh, suits up and heads out into the street and just happens to run into a woman that looks very familiar thinking hey she looks just like that woman i just happened to be thinking about just now but maybe i'm just imagining it
0: but the girl i was thinking of would be a hideous old hag by this point <laughs> into her 40s and this girl is young and beautiful so she can't possibly be the hideous hag i was thinking of so
1: we have <laughs> a mystery here um that will be solved so uh he then starts following her and almost sort of well if it's much longer than these two panels it would have been kind of creepy and stalkery but as it is it's just a couple of panels he's like still watching her he sees her collide with somebody and they drop some packages and happen to swap the packages and he notices this and is trying to warn her hey this guy just stole from something from you she's like uh look dude (laughs) (laughs) um uh you must be mistaken I have the thing I am supposed to have. (laughs) Walk on. She says, look, I appreciate
0: your concern, but you are mistaken. This is my package. Now, why don't you just forget the whole thing? Ixnay on the package pay.
1: (laughs) And then he's like, hmm, there must be something more here than meets the eye, (laughs) basically.
0: There's more to this than I guess. She's in league with that Joker. (laughs) What is it all about?
1: What was in the package? Oh, don't worry. We're going to find out. So the man that she collided with keeps on moving down the road with this package in hand. Batroc then finds him and gives him a serious wallop by jumping on him horizontally, basically. You haven't described who Batroc is. Yes, Batroc is a Frenchman, works with the bad guys. He says, ha, Surely, Mon ami, you did not think a mere agent of shield could keep the inferno forty two from the Zelipa, and uh then he of course says lots of sac bleu and zutalo and all sorts of stuff like that he is uh and twirls his little handlebar mustache. he is very entertaining, yes, so Batrock subdues this guy. And finds out that, no, this was a decoy, that he must have ditched the package somewhere else to be picked up by someone else. So then he's like, wait a minute, that woman he collided with, maybe that's it. But the woman that Steve Rogers has interacted with here, who has the package, seems to think he looks familiar too. But it's just from stories that her sister or aunt or grandmother or great aunt (laughs) or fill in the blank <laughs> told her which is sort of sort of hard to believe that she would recognize a guy from just stories that were being told but let's just assume there was a photo or two Yes.
0: He says, I've got to stop thinking that way. Clutching at straws whenever I see a girl who looks like her. And she thinks I almost made a fool of myself. Sis had told me so often of the boy she knew in World War II, but he'd be much older by now. It couldn't have been him. What would he have thought if I'd asked him? Is your name Steve Rogers? Yes. So this is our first sighting of Sharon Carter. This is the first appearance of Sharon Carter, who at first is Peggy Carter's younger sister. We never got confirmed The unnamed agent that Cap was fighting with a couple of issues ago in World War II was Peggy Carter. That was an unnamed agent. Here, Sharon Carter will also be an unnamed agent for a long time. She will just be called Agent 13. But it will eventually be determined that that was Peggy Carter in the earlier issue, that this is an agent named Sharon Carter here, both S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. So she says sis. So at this point, she is presumably the much younger sister of Peggy Carter and Eventually, this will be changed as the timeline.
1: Yeah, and it just gets confusing. And as I think we mentioned in an earlier episode, there was an Agent X-23 or something like that in the old Golden Age uh, comics that presumably would have been Peggy Carter. But then in later stories, she then becomes, I think, called Betsy Ross and becomes a superhero called Golden Girl. So then that makes it all more confusing. Anyway, yes, this will be perpetually confusing. Uh, from now until eternity so steve rogers basically hears batroc attack sharon carter and so he slips into a blind alleyway and comes back out as captain america to try and fight him so then batroc kicks him knocks him off his feet and captain america is able to recognize the fighting style he says batroc the leaper a a master of la savate the french art of boxing with the feet and uh, Patroc says, I salute you, mon capitain. Your knowledge is is almost the equal of your fame. I had thought that the La, Sav- the La Savate, or La Savate, or whatever it is, had been added later by people who were like, what's up with this French dude who kicks people? But no, it was right there from the beginning. Uh, whether or not his moves look anything like the actual French martial art of savat or Savate, or whatever it's called, I have no idea. I doubt it. But then Sharon Carter is trying to use a moment to repeat claim her gun and then batroc steps on it and shatters her gun which is odd not quite sure how that (laughs) happens but not quite as odd as the next panel so page nine panel three we have a panel where Captain America is just knocking the crap out of Batrock with a huge roundhouse. And it looks really awesome at first glance. You should not glance at it more than a moment because the longer you look at it, the more disturbing and weird and unexplainable it becomes. So, Where is his butt? Well, is that his butt or is that his crotch? Is Is that his right foot or his left foot? is his is his foot kicking Batroc or is his fist punching Batroc where is Captain America's head what um, and whether he's punching or kicking Batroc it's clear that it was right in the nads it was um, (laughs) so this I I find this uh, panel utterly fascinating for all the wrong reasons (laughs) Uh, but once again this is probably something between the kirby layouts uh airs pencils tertaglione inks yeah. something got lost somewhere in that game of telephone <laughs> and we ended up with this so while captain america and Batroc finish up their confrontation sharon carter is able to sneak off with her package and goes through a trap brick wall in order to get off the street
0: so her Inferno 42 package has gotten ruptured in all this and is glowing. And it is glowing so brightly that we can see Batroc and Captain America see it glowing from four blocks away um, <laughs> on um, but on page 10. But then we get to her, who is holding this thing that is glowing so brightly that it can be seen from four blocks away. And she does not
1: notice. She
0: does not notice that the thing in her arms is glowing that brightly, which is hey. a
1: little silly. And as she walks into that dark room, it doesn't seem to be illuminating the room at all either. A really, really fun issue. I, I really enjoyed this one, uh, and it's great to see Sharon Carter brought into this. Uh, it's great to have as you. I, I. It sounds like you've been a bigger fan of Batroc over the years than me, but yes, he's a fun character, and it's great. It's good to see him come into this. Yeah, we're we're making progress on these characters. You know, as I was saying in a recent issue, it really seems that the Marvel Universe is become, you know, has become really what it will be. And so this is like it going through its late adolescence here, basically, <laughs> as it's doing its last growth spurt before becoming what its mature self will be. Yes. This was a great step in that process.
0: I think I fell in love with Patroc the Leaper when there was a great Roger Stern, John Byrne, Patroc the Leaper, or Mr. Hyde, Captain America story, and I think issues 251 and 252. Patroc does show up in the MCU. He was one of the villains in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and then also was one of the villains in the Winter Soldier and Falcon TV show. And uh I just love him. I think he is just has some of the most some one of the biggest personalities of any Marvel character. And uh and I just love I love the Savate. I love the I love the King. <laughs> <laughs> I love his French martial arts, but uh I just love his character and I just love this issue. I think you know to get Sharon Carter and, in retroactively, Peggy Carter and Petroc all introduce the same issue. It should be a bad issue with um, the combination of Kirby, Eris, and Tartaclione, but it looks beautiful. I think this is just a fantastic issue. I love it. It looks beautiful with the
1: exception of that one panel. <laughs> Which, oh, I, actually, don't get me wrong. It actually does look beautiful, come to think of it. It's just, you just don't think about it. Just move on. Just don't on. think about it. Yes, yes. go on.
0: Okay, that brings us to Avengers number 26. No, your eyes are not deceiving you. You are looking at the wonderful Wasp. Don't dare miss the startling surprises inside. But of course, if you've read Tales of Assange this month, you've already seen her come back in the Namor storyline. You know, the Wasp always wears a different costume, but like this one's like, is this a new costume or is that just a bathing suit? Well, it turns out it is just a bathing suit. They also color her wings oddly in this issue. So it looks like on the cover, like she's got fleshy wings which is very disturbing. Is that how it's colored on yours? Does, do they look like fleshy wigs?
1: Yeah, they're kind of peach colored. They're a little darker yeah. than her skin tone, but not by much. Yeah. yeah, I find that disturbing. They look like giant skin flaps that she's flapping
0: around on. So we have incredible story by Stanley, inconceivable art by Don Heck, indescribable inking by Frank Ray, I think. They, I feel like, for each of the last like 10 issues we've had a different anchor on don heck and now frank ray gets his turn he is a good anchor but he is doing his best with heck but is somewhat struggling with him in double lettering by arty simek you don't catch us breaking up a winning combo but then you have <laughs> i feel like heck has been doing more and more gadgetry on the walls of a mansion with every issue and <laughs> the gadgetry has gotten so mammoth And by the splash page of this issue, it's basically cropping the four Avengers out of the page (laughs) as they are being loomed over by this huge, extremely complicated machinery. We have, once again, Captain America working with the Avengers, showing them a new gadget. And then, of course, the Avengers get in a fight. I got to tell you, I am just very glad to see the cover of this issue because I'm just very tired of this group of Avengers. It's just – it's a tiny group. It's only four people, Captain America, Hawkeye. Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, and they keep fighting that none of them like each other except for Scarlet Witch, like in Captain America, that's that's the only one where people like each other, and they keep getting in fights and I'm always like, wait, is this a fake fight or is this a real fight? Well, in this case, it's a pretty real fight, and they're fighting Hawkeye Storms out. We then cut to Hank Pym and Janet and out in the middle of the ocean. She shrinks down. I think they say at some point, this is not a costume. This is just a bathing yeah. suit. But it's a unstable molecules bathing suit. So then she shrinks down. But then she decides to fly from there. Is this is a platform or a ship somewhere out in the middle of the ocean. She decides to fly all the way back to the mainland. But realizes like, oh, I'm not strong enough to do that. So then she decides, I'm just going to float in the ocean for a while and relax. Like, I don't think it's that relaxing to be floating in the middle of the ocean.
1: Also, on page 5, panel 7, where she's floating, she's standing. That is not a floating position whatsoever. Notice the shadow of her left leg onto her right leg. If you're floating, you're not going to be casting that shadow. And <laughs> Her hair does not look like it's floating in the water at all. He just drew a picture of her standing up, just drew it at a weird angle, and then just drew water around it.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, That bothers me. So then, uh, it just so happens she's floating above Atuma, who is like, hey, this must be a spy who is floating above me, given that there is no logical reason someone would just do that, which he's right about. So then he sucks her down into his ship. This is of course the second time Atuma has sucked the wasp into his ship. He did so way back in Tales to a number sixty-four, and he is once again. Does he have an actual model of a city here, or is he just conjuring the this up in his I, I think that this
1: this is just his description of what's happening. This again. is not a model.
0: And then uh, he explains to her that he is going to take over. She, and this is good once again, with flesh colored wings on her back, looking like she's got giant
1: skin flaps flapping
0: around, which is not <laughs> pleasant.
1: Um, okay, Matt, could could we could we rethink the term giant skin flaps? That is that is really freaking me out, man. <laughs> that's freaking me out i'm just <laughs> sharing i'm sharing my freak out with the world here this is freaky coloring
0: and so then she i always like it when damsels in distress get to show a little bit of agency and she does manage to get out and then use their communicator to a nice nice panel on the bottom of page eight of her inside the machinery i always like it when they show Ant-Man or Wasp inside machinery.
1: Although she does have to say, thank heavens, Hank used to spend time teaching me the fundamentals of electrocommunications. Otherwise, I might not have recognized this apparatus. Which, you know, that actually kind of makes sense plot-wise, but once again, why do you always have to have oh good thing i listened to a man earlier because (laughs) that's gonna allow me to do this stuff also uh you haven't mentioned the whole thing about what the atmosphere is like in this thing yet right
0: yeah this is very bizarre they've decided that the atlanteans need to breathe water but when they're in their own ships they don't just have them filled with water. They have them filled with very moist air. You can briefly have humans and Atlanteans in the same environment with the Atlanteans and humans humans breathing the same moist air. And then eventually you have to put a helmet on the humans. It's all very
1: confusing. Uh, you know, they should really start recruiting uh, heroes from New Orleans uh, or maybe Miami. And then they would probably be able to get along just fine inside these ships.
0: Yes high moisture cities so then she manages to contact the Avengers uh we now at Hawkeye who is surrounded by showgirls um, and uh <laughs> who is really enjoying himself and then I guess he's handing around to them his H ring he's got a ring with a big H on it which I guess was how they were going to contact him so the way he communicates with the Avengers is he's got a big honking H ring on his hand that he uses to communicate with the Avengers but now it's off his hand so he loses it so then The meager three Avengers fly out to rescue the Wasp. They, too, get sucked up into Atuma's ship. They have a big old fight. I always think Atuma is fine. He's a perfectly fine villain. He's threatening. He's intimidating. He's got good gadgetry. You know, sure, why not? Then he defeats the Avengers, but one of his soldiers says, We have heard whispers among the warriors, sire. They say Atuma conquers those who are already defeated because they cannot breathe their air. And then Timon says, what, you dare accuse me of cowardice? I, the moneyest of all, revive the prisoners. Put helmets on them that they may breathe. Then bring the hence. I'll slay them all single-handed. So uh, once again, the villain has the advantage, but loses it because his pride is insulted. And he is fighting them all, one by one, in his little arena here. Eventually, they decide, uh, shouldn't we flood these things that give him a little bit of advantage? And they do. Meanwhile, Hawkeye comes back realizes the Avengers are out somewhere, decides to turn on the subliminal recall inducer to try to figure out where they are, and then a mysterious person enters Avengers mansion, and the issue ends. A perfectly... I was going to say perfectly fine. Perfectly fine is too much of a compliment. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is a poorly drawn, adequately plotted issue. The fact that this whole thing happens just because the Wasp happened to decide to float in the ocean over a Tuma ship is poor plotting. The ways in which Hawkeye misses the signal is poor plotting. Just in terms of getting away to get the Avengers to fight a tomb out for 10 pages. Sure, why not? It works.
1: Okay. The whole thing with Hawkeye, ignoring the whole idea that he's just in some kind of nightclub surrounded by showgirls, apropos of nothing. At the beginning of the issue, the gadget that Captain America was showing them was this new secure method for sharing messages in case you need to leave a message for someone. It's this thing where you have to remember a password and all this sort of stuff, all the nightmare crap that we have to deal with in 2023. So that's what was going wrong when uh, Hawkeye came back and was looking for the message and he's like oh wait i can't remember my password and so the i can't and the, the i forgot my password thing is that subliminal recall inducer <laughs> that they go to uh yeah no don't go down that road folks we're we're there already and it's not fun just leave a note yeah. just leave a yes. note always uh, leave a note always leave a note all right um yeah you know once again not the best issue to end on here but You know, it is what it is.
0: We always end on Avengers, and it is never the best issue to end on. (laughs) Heck took over with issue nine, I think. We're currently on issue 26, and he is going to stay on until issue 40. So never the best book. Eventually, it will become a great book again when John B. Simmons takes over. Yes. All right. Well, Steve, that is it for March. 1966. I think there have been a lot of great books this month. There have been some weaker books this month. It is one of the most legendary months in all Marvel comics due to the first appearance of Silver Surfer and Galactus. And that issue was could not have lived up to its legendary status more. Absolutely gorgeous issue. If only Sinat had inked all nine books this month. But oh my, he did
1: not. The Hulk story had his secret identity being revealed. Yeah, we've had lots of very substantial things happening here in the Marvel Universe this month. The Plunderer gets his white and blue uniform. Oh, that's Uh, huge. (laughs) (laughs) That's enormous. And uh, oh, yeah, but we also get Sharon Carter. So. Yes lots of and, 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 and batroc and batroc there is some chaff to sort out from the wheat here but we have a lot of but the wheat is really good yes good wheat good <laughs> wheat marvel comics so yeah good month and uh we are continuing on to more good stuff next month yes exciting okay fantastic all right see you later everybody bye take care bye stay safe out there Thanks for listening to Marble Reread Club. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Your reviews and ratings are a great help and always appreciated. We love hearing from you. Go to MarbleRereadClub.com to find notes and join the discussion about this episode. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. See you next time.